Hey there, Desi Crime fans. I'm your host Aryan, and I'm Ishwarya. And welcome back to another episode of the Desi Crime podcast. This podcast is run by two twenty-year-olds from research to recording to post-production and social media. If you have the means, please contribute to our Patreon, and if you don't, please share our episodes and posts on your social media. Be a loyal Desi crew member. Go to Patreon.com/slash/DesiCrime. After that harrowing phone call. We left all of you on a cliffhanger. Joe Chinkwe is dead. Anu Singh is panicking, and Maria Chinkwe, Joe's mother, is breathless, convinced that her son is dead, dead at the hands of his own girlfriend, Anu Singh. Find out in today's episode what actually happened on the morning of twenty-sixth October, nineteen ninety-seven, the fateful Sunday that sealed the Chinkwe's destiny forever. This is the story of death by the devil. This is the story of Anu Singh and Joe Chinkwe. Before we begin today's much-awaited episode, and I can hear our listeners thinking, "Come on, Aryan, just get on with the story. Who killed Joe? We need to know." Guys, hold on for a second. We have some big, big news to share with you. The Desi Crime Podcast family has grown, and it wouldn't have happened without you all. We have partnered with Lost Debate, which is a media startup based out of New York. Lost Debate is essentially a non-profit media company that tells the stories of people who are misunderstood, overlooked, or simply threatening to those with privilege and power. They're ethically contrarian, meaning that their goal is to challenge conventional wisdom, not to be different or provocative, but to highlight issues underrepresented in traditional media. Issues like the ones we highlight at the Desi Crime Podcast, issues like honor killings, police brutalities, and more. And not only have they invested in us, they launched the Lost Debate Podcast and YouTube show for political nerds who want more nuance from the news and a good faith look at issues around them. Just like me and you. <laughs> exactly, and the best part is, on this show, instead of being at each other's throats, they focus on bringing a reasoned perspective to the stories of the day. Conversations between real people, not talking heads, and the world of American politics is already completely crazy. So, for an international listener to better understand what's actually happening here, it's a much better alternative to CNN or Fox. So, go check them out and show them the Desi love. It is the Lost Debate. New episodes come out every Tuesday and Thursday, and you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now we continue from where we left off in this saga of Anu, Joe, heroin, and an emergency call that makes no sense. Arjun, I'm still unable to wrap my head around that police call. It was so frantic, so haphazard, and I think beyond all of that, she called herself Olivia. 
she lied while her boyfriend was dying she couldn't even come up with a fake name that was at least an indian fake name right. I mean, she could have come up with anything isha for i don't know <laughs> but to jog our listeners memory ashwara let's replay that call what you're about to hear is a reenactment of the call placed by anu to the emergency responders in australia Anu called 000 when she allegedly saw Joe puking blood and thought he was dying. Could I get an ambulance please? I have a person potentially overdosed on heroin. Potentially overdosed? Well, uh, he's not he's vomiting everywhere. Blood stuff. He's vomiting blood. Right, okay. What's the address? Is that a bad sign? What's the address? Can you hang on please just tell me is that a bad sign That's well it's not good if he's vomiting blood Oh uh, is he going to be okay I don't know I'll send an ambulance for them to check him out Fair enough What's the address 30 Antill Street Is that a flat or a house Oh it's a flat What number in Antill Street What's going to happen What's the flat number Oh shit shit Listen to me Oh hang on um what am I going to do Settle down settle down Okay, what am I going to do? Well, if you tell the address, I'll get an ambulance out to you. Will he be okay? I don't know. We'll have to get an ambulance to assess him. What is the number of the flat in Antill? Is uh, is Oh shit. What is the number of the flat in Antill Street? It's um 79. So flat 3079 is that correct? Yeah. No, no, hang on. Flat 30 Hang on, where is the ambulance? The ambulance is at Dickinson. Now just calm down. What's your name? Oh shit. He's vomiting blood. What are What's your name? Tell me, tell me please. What is your name? Oh my god. Oh god. Olivia. What is your name please? Olivia, Olivia. Oh fuck. Hang on, hang on. What's the phone number you're ringing from? Hang on. His heart's still beating. Good. Right. Now just settle down for God's sake. Flat thirty seventy nine Antill Street. Flat thirty seventy nine. No, seventy nine Antill Street. What's the flat number? It's a townhouse. It's seventy nine in Antill Street. Yeah, yeah. Get here quickly. All right, we'll get someone there shortly. Apartment, then townhouse, then thirty, then seventy nine. Things don't seem to add up now, do they? They really don't. But like I said in the previous episode. We don't know how people react when they're in the middle of so much trauma and experiencing a situation where they need to act on their feet to this degree, but it still doesn't make sense. And they don't add up because they're not meant to add up. By the time the paramedics reached the actual residence of Anu on Antill Street, it was too late. Anu's shenanigans and paranoia confused the ambulance as it tried to find the residents. What should have been a quick call turned into a 20-minute conversation between Anu and the 000 responder. 20 whole minutes of giving wrong directions. In Australia, Shwara, a recent study shows that the target is 9 minutes for the most urgent jobs. The Australian emergency team officers aim to attend 75% of priority cases in 8 minutes. In fact, in many neighborhoods like the suburb in Canberra where they lived, the police responds to fatal emergencies within 4 minutes. Wow, that's a big difference. We can of course speculate as to how Joe might have survived if the ambulance showed up in 4 minutes had they been given the right address. But as the ambulance scrambled to find the godforsaken Antill house, Joe Chinkwe heaved his last breath. By the time the paramedics arrived, there was nothing they could do. It was too late. They were greeted with a dreadful scene. 
According to one of the paramedics, Anu was very anxious, waving them into the house frantically and telling them that Chinkwe had had heroin. When Singh was asked how much he had had, she said, quote, 150, unquote, which is essentially three times the usual adult dose. 150. That seemed an oddly precise amount for Anu to know, something a normal person shouldn't know. Aran, I had a question for you. Didn't you mention sometime in the last episode that Joe's friends and family came forward to say that he actually stayed very far away from drugs and alcohol and that kind of stuff? He didn't even use drugs as a recreational purposes and that's a good observation of yours. But she also told the paramedics that he had had Rohypnol. Now, Rohypnol is another drug that the Joe we know would have stayed away from and Rohypnol is a sedative. But the paramedics aren't the police, Ashwarya. Even though they had suspicions, they were there to save Joe. The paramedics tried to resuscitate Chinkwe and asked Singh to perform external cardiac compression, which is a heart massage. But when it became clear that Joe could not be revived, Anu became hysterical. She started screaming, it wasn't supposed to happen this way. We were supposed to go together. It wasn't supposed to happen this way. We were supposed to go together. Go together? You know, now that conversation you mentioned where she was rambling about the meaning of life and afterlife, that kind of adds up. Was she performing like a religious cultist sacrifice? You know, if she was actually, it would be oddly accurate of Joe's mum to describe her as the devil. Eventually, one paramedic also recalled her saying... Can't you do anything? There must be something you can do. This is not happening. I don't believe this. Then she tried to kiss Joe, pulling at his face, sitting on top of him, trying to embrace him, as I suspect a girlfriend, a lover would do. Maria Chinkwe, Joe's mother, had sensed a misdoing, a misgiving, a misfortune. You don't have to be supernatural to believe that mothers have a superpower, an ability to telepathically sense vibes, as we like to say. Mums have the ability to sense vibes, very much like Maria Chinkwe did, as soon as the police knocked at her door. Your son, Joe, is no more, the police officer announced. Maria and her husband, Nino, sank into their chairs, the same chairs in which they were awaiting their 26-year-old child's phone call. The tea they had brewed for themselves went cold, just like their son's pale skin, which they had to see the very next day. Friends, family or even witnesses have to verify to the police that the dead body is actually of the person in question. Maria and Joe now had to identify their own son's corpse. As soon as the body was removed from the freezer, Maria fell unconscious. Perhaps there was a small part of her that still wanted to believe that the police got it wrong. Maybe they misidentified the victim. Maybe there was some mess up. Some, maybe there was some miscommunication. But as soon as the body was pulled out, it was clear as daylight. Lying on that metal table was the same boy she had raised, for whom she had come all the way from Italy to give him a better life. There lay Joe Chinkwe, lifeless. But all this while you ask, where is Anu Singh? Behind the bars, yes. As the ambulance took Joe to the hospital, the cops took Anu in for questioning. When the first police officer arrived on the scene, he saw Singh straddling Joe's body and saying, 
no, 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 don't leave me, Joe, Joe, unquote. It took two paramedics to help the police officer remove her from the room as she was struggling and screaming. She was immediately taken into custody, where she was interviewed by officers who observed she was obviously agitated, but still coherent. By the time her father arrived at the police station, it was 10pm and she was crying, folding and pinching her arms and delusionally asking, quote, where am I? And her confusion that was evident on the crazy sounding phone call still lingered. As she entered the police station, she was still fidgety and frantic. She kept moving her arms, pacing back and forth, acting erratic. But in all this back and forth, there were no tears. In fact, a constant theme even during the investigation that was expressed by detectives and psychologists was that Anu appeared rather remorseless, worried more for herself than for her dead lover. As we always do, we have uploaded CCTV footage of Anu at the police station on our Instagram at Desi Crime, in which her erratic behaviour is evident. As soon as she was taken into questioning, the police concluded her involvement within 24 hours. Wow, that's very quick. Something just didn't sit right with the cops, Ashwarya. Her story to the cops was that first he overdosed on heroin, but then it later changed to the fact that he drank a lot the night before and she kept making up excuses with loopholes in them. And by this time, a key piece of information was revealed the all-important autopsy report. And there was no strangling or use of force in the report. Nothing to suggest that Anu had killed him by violence. But there was instead exactly what Anu had told the cops. Signs of heroin and rohypnol in his blood. The official decision was that Chinkwe's death was caught due to asphyxia from terminal inhalation of vomit while under the influence of depressants, heroin and rohypnol, unquote. As much as I hate to play the devil's advocate, no pun intended, Anu, despite being hysterical on the call, wasn't lying. That's absolute nonsense. I'm actually kind of getting mad at her right now, which is rare for me during these episodes. But that sounds like absolute nonsense. You just said they detected a sedative, Rohypnol. Isn't it possible she drugged him? Hey, don't get mad at the messenger. (laughs) But you, Madam Detective, are absolutely right. Investigators found the syringe used to inject the heroin only with Anu's fingerprints. And the sedatives? Alas, the sedatives were there for a reason. To put Joe to sleep. And as the modus operandi, the method of murder as it is called, of this case was being uncovered, a second suspect came out of the woodworks. A certain Madhavi Rao. Now, Madhavi Rao was a fellow law student, a friend of Anu Singh's, who attended the dinner party the couple arranged two days before Joe died. Joe died on a Sunday, and the dinner party was on that very Friday. That party was attended by Madhvi. But how exactly did this play out? If Anu is truly the killer, she clearly didn't try to hide it. For a smart law student, she sucks at covering up a murder. And who in the hell is Madhvi Rao? To get to the bottom of Joe's heroin overdose, as always, we need to turn back the clock 
turn it back to when Anu's mom, Paddy Singh, called the mental health emergency team to check on Anu. And when Anu disclosed that she wants to kill Joe because he introduced her to the drug Ipecac. Ipecac, for those of you who do not remember, is a drug that makes you want to vomit. It is abused by people who are trying to lose weight. Especially models who eat food and then eat Ipecac. Classic bulimic eating disorder symptoms. Aran, I have a question here. How long before Joe actually died had Anu made the claims that she wanted to kill him and her mom had called the mental health emergency services to check on her? Late 1996, early 1997, so about seven to nine months before Joe actually died. Okay. And as we discussed in the previous episode, Anu had depression, body image issues, hypochondria, and all of those issues that any normal human like me and you can sympathize with. But when that transforms into a desire to kill someone who has been nothing but supportive of you, my sympathy turns into something else. Remember, Joe died on 26th October 1997. But Anu had decided to kill Joe by early 1997 or late 1996. She wanted to kill Joe because she thought Joe wanted to kill her. Some suspect that by this time Joe's passionate love for Anu started wearing down. Naturally, inevitably he had had enough. The man who was used to being in the limelight had enough of being in a woman's shadow, a woman that explicitly wanted to murder him. And this was confirmed to Anu in the summer of 1997, just a few months before his death, when Joe bought himself a new car. A new car might seem to all of you like nothing, but just a new car. But as Robert Tyrone, Joe's best mate says, the car symbolized something more. It symbolized freedom. And this is something you can speak to, Ashwara. You're planning to buy a new car. You're you're fawning over buying a new car. And it means something more than just something that you can drive. I've said this my entire life whenever people ask me why I love driving as much as I do and why I want to have a car as much as I do when I'm just 20-some years old in my early 20s. And my answer has always been that driving to me represents freedom. And Having a car does too. And mind you that Joe is the same guy that solo-traveled Europe. His new convertible car was his escape from Antill Street, his yearning to drive across Australia and rediscover himself. This did not sit well with Anu. Joe's freedom meant Anu's loss. She decided, for sure this time, that if she cannot have him, no one can. What began as a desire to murder now transformed into a suicide pact. A one-sided suicide pact. Anu had decided that she's going to kill herself and take Joe with him to the afterlife. And herein enters our second suspect, Madhvi Rao, Anu's closest friend. Arguably, Anu's only friend. Aran, but hold on. Didn't you say that Anu had a dinner party at her house two days before Joe was dead? Anu's friends were there at that party, so... Why would you say Madhavi is her only friend? Because the folks at the dinner party were not Anu's friends. They were Madhavi's friends. And the dinner oh. party was not so much a party, but just a small piece of a much larger puzzle. A puzzle 
put together and planned out by Anu and Madhavi. I'm really curious why two days before you're planning to murder your boyfriend, would you hold a party? That seems to bring a lot of people as witnesses to what is about oh. to be your crime. Well, maybe it wasn't just a crime and that's where it's so complicated. See, here's the thing about Madhavi. She was a simp, a crony, an ardent worshipper of Anu's. If you don't take my word for it, Madhavi's own lawyer called Madhavi, quote, Anu's doormat, unquote. Because Anu literally walked over Madhavi. Remember, however mentally disturbed Anu may be, she was cunningly charismatic, something that attracted Joe to her in the first place. And her dominant persona attracted Madhavi, who was more of an insecure nerd drawn to power. Madhavi Rao was in on Singh's murderous plans from the very beginning and seemed to be willing to do whatever it took to help her. The two women together researched methods of suicide, spending several hours reading material at the Australian National University Library. Their first plan was to use a gun, and they reached out to someone called Mr. T, a drug dealer. In August of 1997, one month after Joe had bought a brand new car, Anu called Mr. T, asking him about a gun. He expressed his inability to provide one and assumed that that would be the last he ever hears from Anu. But two weeks later, his phone rang again, and this time the demand was more subtle. When efforts to get hold of a gun had failed, these two ladies turned their research to drugs, settling on, you guessed it, heroin, which was easily available via a friend who was a former addict, lo and behold, Mr. T. She called the drug dealer Mr. T again asking, quote, how easy is it to overdose on heroin, unquote. She also asked what happened physically and how long it took to die. When Mr. T told her that she would not feel any pain and would be dead within a few minutes, she asked, how much do you need to overdose? Mr. T discussed appropriate quantities with her. It is clear that Singh and Rao began to experiment with heroin some weeks before Chinkwe's death, buying some from Mr. T in early September of 1997 and had him show how to inject it. In fact, Madhavi Rao even took nursing classes to learn proper intravenous administration of fluids via injections. How do we know this, Aryan? Is this all Madhavi Rao's testimony or did Mr. T confirm it? Because I don't fully trust Madhavi Rao if I'm going to be completely honest. Uh, I think you're not alone in that, but this is Mr. T's testimony and it's all from the court uh, transcripts. But it's corroborated by other elements of evidence as well. In early October, Singh contacted Mr. T for the final time and bought two half-weights of heroin from him for $500. Two doses for two people. Mr. T took a small quantity of the heroin as commission, loading the rest into two syringes for her. I'm going to have to say, even if you are a drug dealer, if someone's coming to you saying, I need quantity enough for two people and how much is enough to overdose... Alarm bells should kind of be ringing. Oh well, alarm bells did ring. When he asked Singh why she wanted so much heroin, she replied, quote, someone's coming with me, unquote. He asked her whether she meant that someone was going to commit suicide with her and she said, yes. The sad yet funny thing to me is 
everyone except Joe knew about the suicide pact he was involved in. When he asked her who that person was, Singh replied, "You don't need to know, but today is the day." Now it was October 1997. Anu, with the help of her worshipper Madhavi, had everything ready to kill herself and Joe, except enough attention. This is the part of this crazy story that even I cannot wrap my head around. This is a part that seems so evil that it is almost fictional. This is the part that answers the question you just brought up about why a dinner party. Anu organized a dinner party where all the guests were aware she is going to commit suicide with her partner except her partner. But Anu did not have friends, so Madhavi was given the job of arranging these parties. Two questions. Firstly, again, sorry to sound like a broken record, but what the hell is the point of a party? And secondly, did all these other people at the party know that Joe didn't know? I know it makes no sense. But to answer your first question, Anu in later interviews said that quote the Monday night dinner was I guess a goodbye party for me essentially a suicide party and I don't know how many people knew about that at the time but I guess essentially a send off which sounds a bit bizarre unquote yes it sounds bizarre no shit I know I agree yeah huh <laughs> but to answer your second question These people knew that Anu was going to do something and Anu had told them that there is a murder pact which is as most pacts are mutual so they all just assumed the couple is going to commit suicide after this and none of them intervened and that blows my mind wait so the party is for a suicide these people go over to Anu's house they all know about it they know that Anu knows that they know and none of them are saying okay good to see you for the last time hi joe we'll never see you again bye bye so two things to that in later testimony it's revealed that firstly all of them knew that anu was kind of an attention seeker and they were there for that attention element of it it was almost like when you pass an accident on the road you want to look at it but do nothing this seems to be a way more messed up variation of that humane sadistic impulse this is a messed up group of this friends this is a messed up group of messed up people and blows my mind it's 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 so many things that do not make sense yeah. but they're all true it's That's almost what, as if so many people could have stopped this but just nobody did anything exactly so the first party was scheduled for the 20th of october The party went all right and when the guests left Anu crushed the sedative rohypnol in a cup of coffee and gave it to Joe when he was knocked unconscious she injected him with heroin but instead of smoothly administering the liquid in his veins it became a very arduous process it became extremely hard she had concentrated the heroin too much and it became a brown sludge and very little actually entered Joe's body Joe did not die. When he woke up, he probably thought he is having the worst hangover of his life, unbeknownst to him that he had overconcentrated heroin and rohypnol in his blood. One would hope that this would be a wake-up call for Anu that what she was doing was crazy and she needed to stop it because it didn't work, it failed. But and I guess you not. know sometimes you commit it's like some you try to commit a suicide 
you are unable to go through with it and all of a sudden you realize thank god i didn't die while committing suicide how many of those cases come out of suicide attempts unsuccessful suicide attempts at the golden gate bridge <laughs> it's just a little different when you're killing someone else are and i think you don't feel the same way but the aim was to kill herself right after she killed him right right but if anything this made her resolve even firmer just 4 days later on 24th october 1997 they organized another dinner party with the same guests and the same modus operandi syringes wine rohypnol and heroin a witness told the court that the dinner party at their antel street home was perfectly normal singh and joe were acting like a regular loving couple one of singh's friend asked her why was she so bubbly and vivacious that night quote i've taken rohypnol and had a few drinks unquote The night was apparently a success with plenty of food, wine and conversation. The dinner party guests had all left by about 3:30 in the morning, leaving only Anu Singh, Madhavi Rao and Jo Chinkwe. Round number 2. After all the guests went home, Anu crushed up several Rohypnol pills, a known date rape drug, and slipped them into Jo's coffee. But Chinkwe did not die quickly. I think I'd expected. It was time for Anu to fulfill her side of the bargain, commit suicide. But no, she backed out. Oh my god. How convenient, right? Drug your boyfriend, back out allegedly and still call it a suicide pact? In fact, in a later interview she was asked exactly this question by a journalist called Philip Adams. Adams asked her point blank. Why didn't you commit suicide given that was central to your whole plan what stopped you Anu Singh replied quote I think discussions with Madhavi that night went a long way to prevent anything from happening she actually came along to see quite a few doctors with me and we decided that possibly we'd go and see someone else there's got to be a way there's got to be something that I can take there's got to be some treatment involved unquote Okay so Madhavi convinced Anu that Anu needed psychological psychiatric help. Is that what happened? Yeah, right after she poisoned Joe. Why? Why is she coming to this really obvious realization after this plan was executed so smoothly? Why not after the last party for example? Why not while she was arranging for a gun? What is wrong with Madhavi? It sounds like a lie to me, Ashwarya. All of this sounds like a lie. It sounds like a lie she's made after the fact. I don't think this was a suicide pact at all. It's a lie she made up or at least a realization she had right when she had to commit suicide. Anyway, Madhavi Rao left the Antel Street home between 5 to 6 a.m. to go back to her own apartment on Saturday. Saturday being October 25th. But Chinkwe was still alive at midday the following day. Singh was in a major panic phoning her friend Kamak the same friend who had given Anu the rohypnol telling her that Joe was looking a bit blue and taking a breath every 10 seconds or so Kamak told Singh to call an ambulance right away but Singh was frantic telling her friend that if she got an ambulance and they revived him Joe would be angry with her on learning that she had drugged him Kamak told Singh to give him mouth to mouth resuscitation keep him going as long as he could Singh hung up on the phone but called again seconds later saying it's too late he's gone anyway Kamak told Singh that she had no right to take somebody's life away and called her a selfish bitch 
Singh asked her to come over, offering to pick her up. And Kamak said with a lot of common sense, quote, He'll be dead in two minutes. You don't have 20 minutes to come and pick me up. Kamak further added, quote, Look, Anu, if you call the paramedics, you will have an angry boyfriend when he wakes up. If you don't, you'll have a murder charge on your hands, unquote, said Kamak. It took 36 hours for Singh to decide to call an ambulance. But her newfound concern for her dying boyfriend is inconsistent with the facts. Despite allegedly talking to Madhvi and Cormac and expressing her regret, over the next 36 hours, Anu injected Joe even more times with heroin, so much so that at one stage she left to buy more and returned to shoot up her unconscious boyfriend again and again and again. That is unbelievable to me. At this point, Jo Chinkwe is dead after being tortured for 36 hours. Jo died painfully while Anu lived and not just lived, she lived free. I don't. I, I can't. Anu Singh chose to go for a decision by the judge instead of by the jury. It was obvious that the jury would give her the worst possible punishment. The public hated Anu. But with the judge, there was the slight possibility of her lawyers appealing insanity. And that is what they did. The judge found her guilty, but with diminished responsibility. Which basically means that due to her mental health, Anu did not exactly have full control of herself and thus got a shorter punishment. She was initially sentenced to 10 years. Of course, Joe's parents felt cheated. I read somewhere that Maria Chinkwe shouted to the media that 10 years is the prison time for someone who abused animals in Australia. That her beloved Joe was more than an animal. But the 10 years too were reduced to merely 3 years in which Anu successfully acquired a PhD in guess what? Criminology. How appropriate. Wait, so... They put her in prison for three years? They put her in prison and because she had technically spent some time of the case being fought in prison, that was reduced from the 10 years. Shouldn't she be in like a mental hospital no, if she's truly sick? because it wasn't insanity. It was diminished responsibility. But and she had a psychologist in prison, yes, but she wasn't in a mental asylum. And she was, you know, studying while she was in prison because of which she earned a PhD while she was in prison. In criminology. In criminology. She's crazy. Okay, but what happened to Madhavi? She was involved. Despite all the craziness of this case, there are two things that still remain that are perhaps the most unsettling about this case. First is that Madhavi Rao was let go without a single charge. She too chose decision by a judge who concluded that there wasn't enough evidence to directly connect Madhavi to the moment of heroin being injected into Joe. That to me is absolute bogus baloney. She was in many ways the mastermind, the organiser. If Anu was the devil, Madhavi was the devil's secretary. But she escaped scratch-free. And the second thing that bugs me, that is going to make all of you listeners and you, Ishwarya, go mad. So I will end with that. 
But before I share it with you, what follows is Anu Singh's own voice giving an answer as to why she killed Joe in an interview with journalist Ginger Gorman in 2017. Anu, I've read so much about your case. Like mm. I've read Helen's book. I've read so much newspaper coverage, TV coverage, and I, I still don't understand why Joe died. I don't understand why he killed Joe. I don't understand either. There's no rational motivation at all. I was mentally unwell, and I, I still grapple with that. I still grapple with the whys. It, it made, I, I don't know. One of the psychiatrists mentioned um, a state of dissociation, perhaps just just like dissociated from reality. There's no rational motivation at all. Sorry, explanation. Well. she has no explanation which if she truly was so mentally troubled makes sense you can't blame someone for a crime which they committed when they had no control of themselves because of a mental disease they did not choose to suffer i understand that but what if just like the fake dinner parties all of this was fake too part of an elaborate scheme that was months into the planning Anu's friends claimed that she had bragged about the volumes of psychiatric papers she had read no. on court how easy unquote it would be to convince a court that you were insane. Anu had proclaimed on several occasions that it wouldn't be hard to convince someone she was crazy. She convinced the Australian judge that she was crazy. The rest is for you listeners to decide. 